Hey Siri, subscribe to the Crisis Intervention Team podcast. Just to confirm, would you like to subscribe to the podcast Crisis Intervention Team? Sit minute. Ask a doc, ask a cop by Crisis Intervention Team Incorporated. Oh yeah. I think we're going to go ahead and give Jennifer a call then and see. Is this Jennifer? Yes. Who is calling? Hello, Jennifer. It's Saul again. <laughs> Saul. Hi. Uh, hello, Saul. How are you? What can I help you with today? I just am checking things out to see if they work. It seems like they're working. Very good. Very good. Okay. What are All you righty. doing? What are you doing? I'm attempting to... Write a paragraph about evaluation. Oh, evaluation. It sounds so fun. Yeah, would you like to write it? No, I would not. I think it's <laughs> I think everyone would like to hear you on a podcast. <laughs> um I don't know if that's true. So. Oh, it's true. Oh, I I don't know that it is. Okay. Good okay. luck. Goodbye. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. For this podcast, we're going to be listening to a session of a didactic from the CIT Knowledge Network from Dr. Niels Rosenbaum. He's going to be talking about bipolar disorder. The CIT Knowledge Network is an ongoing free training for public safety employees. If you guys are interested in this, you can join in weekly, and we do case didactics, a, a case presentation, a breakdown, a look at some best practices, come up with better ways of interaction with people living with a mental illness or who may be in a behavioral health crisis. We also do a didactic in this section, and these are what you guys are hearing are the didactics. For more information on this, check it out at gocit.org. Look for the CIT Knowledge Network. You can request a membership there. Or you guys can always send an email to Jen Earhart. That's J-E-A-R-H-E-A-R-T at C-A-B-Q dot gov. Or shoot me an email at info at gocit.org, and I'll get the information out to you guys. I hope you guys enjoy this one. Bye. So we'll transition now to uh, talk on bipolar disorder. From our very own Dr. Niels Rosenbaum, psychiatrist at large. So I, I do want to try to keep it pretty informal, and I know it's hard to chime in with questions sometimes, because but please do or raise your hand and ask anything. And anybody here, please, you guys jump in at any time. So uh, bipolar is, um, do most people have a sense somewhat of what bipolar is out there? Mania? Okay. So it's a very popular diagnosis over the last probably five to 10 years. So the way I like to start is with um, sort of classic bipolar, which is a small percentage of the population, maybe one, 2% of the population. And what I mean by that is the people who really have sustained changes in their mood. So they have these periods where they're just kind of fine, 
just like anybody else, and then they can become manic. So like the, the case you were just describing is just perfect because the pressured speech, uh, well, let's assume he's not sleeping, making lots of plans, he's grandiose, he's sort of, he's going right down the checklist for bipolar, for mania, excuse me. And to be bipolar, you have to have mania. So if you were able to visit him, say, uh, two months after he got out of the hospital, it's like, wow, this is a regular Joe. He's just normal and pleasant. Um, that's sort of very classic bipolar. Uh, we don't see that as much as we used to, uh, but we still see it. And so one of the ways to think about those kind of sustained moods is, is um, often people with other personality disorders and people will say, oh, I'm bipolar and my bipolar is acting up because my mood's all over the place. I wake up in the morning and I'm you know, angry and then I'm, in the afternoon I'm super happy and then by the evening I'm sad. It's possible that that could be mixed mania, but it's generally more a sustained um, personality trait. Even, and if it is a, a, a manic state, which is possible that it could be, there still have to be other states of sort of being normal, quote normal. Um, so it's a fluctuation. And the, the way I think about it is there have been a lot of good studies on moods and uh, what so if you were to rank everybody out there, take a second in your mind or write it down. If you're thinking about your mood from a zero to 10, you know, how have you been feeling in the last week, month, and how do you usually feel? So just think about it for a second. Zero to 10, where is my mood? 10, the best I've ever felt in my entire life, just like beaming and happy. And zero, maybe you've never been that low, like you just want to die. There's nothing good. So take a second to think about that. So now imagine... So you have your number in your head, right? Now imagine you won the lottery. You just found out you won the lottery. Um, and, you know, everything's going wonderful with your family and, and everything's perfect. So your mood's going to go up, yes? So let's say it goes up to an 8, 9, 10. It's going to hit there. And it might even stay there for a couple of days. You'll be so excited. You won't sleep. You'll be calling all your friends. You'll be talking in the middle of the night. You'll be pacing back and forth. You'll be basically the checklist for mania. Um, and you will be spending money lavishly. You'll be very excited. So a common delusion in mania is I just came into a lot of money, and they spend money recklessly. So they feel exactly how you would imagine you feel. Um, have it, but the difference is if you truly won the lottery, your mood would come down. All the studies are very clear that if you're at a seven now in your mood, and that's kind of where you are, you win the lottery, bam, you go up to ten, you're not going to stay there very long. You're going to come down maybe to a seven and a half, probably a seven. And sometimes people go lower because it's a big hassle. So you, your basic mood won't, doesn't fluctuate that much. It sort of has a, like a magnetic uh, pull to a sort of a normal level. But someone with mania, that whole magnetic level can go way up and stay way up. And that can be maintained for weeks or even months at times. Um, and then they can go back to normal, and then they can go way, way down, down into the zero, one, two range. And they have a very high risk for suicide. At both poles, they have a high risk for suicide. And that's why it's called bipolar. There's the high pole and the low pole. So they have a, a very high risk for suicide because it's um, that manic feeling as it becomes more irritable and, and it gets to be very unpleasant. They can't sleep. They, they get anxious, and it just can be overwhelming. Um, and also it's very difficult working with people who are manic, as you were saying, is because they truly believe it. Just as if you won the lottery, 
you'd be saying, yes, I did win the lottery. And everybody's telling you, don't spend money. You're making a mistake. No, I really won. Let's go look at my bank account. You, you'd, be, you'd get irritable and you'd defend yourself. Um, so those are kind of the main things that I look for in bipolar is the, the, the changes from a baseline and uh, the, the, the increased energy, the lack of sleep, the, the pressured speech, all the things you were describing. And then there are good treatments for bipolar, uh, especially the, the classic bipolar that we were talking about, that I was talking about earlier, responds well to lithium, which is an old medicine. Are people familiar with lithium? Yeah, it's a good medicine. It works very well. It's um, it had the the big problem with, problems with lithium is that it's um, it, well, there's a bunch. One, it's not really pushed by the drug companies anymore because it's cheap as dirt. Um, two, you have to get uh, blood draws for it, which can be uh, difficult until you get a normal level. It also has a it, it's easy to take too much of it. Uh, and so it can be dangerous if you take too much of it. It can it, over the. It has a lot. It's a very messy medicine. It can cause a lot of side effects. But as Dr. Duig was saying, there's a lot of other treatments for bipolar, and antipsychotics is one of them. And those are generally a lot more uh, palatable, and um, they they can help people with anxiety. They can help people with sleep. Uh, so those are uh, often used at least acutely right away if someone's acting as you are they probably not you <laughs> you're the person you uh, presented they'd likely get an antipsychotic i think you're okay um does anybody have any questions about that because i know we wanted to keep that brief anybody here anybody or you want to add something either anybody want to add or i have a question how long can someone <laughs> maintain a, man, a manic state you know that's a good question so it, it there's a minimum that it has to last, so it's got to be a week or going into the hospital. Um, but, it, it, you know, it can go on for like six months or a year. People can sustain it for long periods of time, and that's why it's sometimes hard to get the, um, the baseline. Sometimes it's like you have to ask an old friend who says, you know, gosh, I knew him all through college, and he was normal. I mean, he was just a pleasant, nice guy. And then I saw him again five years later. He was doing okay. I heard he was out there for a little while. I didn't know what people were talking about. That would sort of paint a very good picture of bipolar. Does that make sense? Well, if someone's at that level of mania and they're not sleeping and stuff, does it have bad health side effects? To it? So that's a great question. You know, I remember asking one of my teachers, my attendings, is you know, before there was good medication, bipolar could be fatal from many ways. One, obviously, suicide. Impulsive activities leading to death, uh, um, delusional things leading to death, kind of like what he was talking about. Oh, they're on my property. I'm going to come at them with a knife, and then you get shot. That's directly related to the mania. Um, or I can take apart this TV and put it back together, and you get electrocuted. So there's accidents, suicide, uh, reckless driving, all these things can, uh, indulging in too, you know, dangerous sex, dangerous behavior, and sort of really seeking out dangerous high stimulus things. So you can die that way. Also, if you just don't sleep, so if you're up, if someone kept you awake for weeks on end, you'll, your, your immune system will go down, you'll get pneumonia, you'll die. And so there's unfortunately a lot of ways to go with uh, bipolar. So the people who can maintain, and I've had patients like that, they're just always kind of at a high level. Um, they're obviously getting some sleep, so they're not way, way out there. That can't be maintained indefinitely. Um, and 
often people crash so they, they can go, they can crest at the very high point, you know, everything, I won the lottery, I'm getting all this money, life is good, everything's wonderful, and then, oh my gosh, people are trying to steal my money, oh my god, this is awful, and they can just kind of plummet down and it could be very awful in that sense. Any, uh, any other thoughts or questions? I, I have a question about, I've had, I had one of my uh, consumers that I um, was help, trying to help, and it seemed to her that she would, she would be doing fine and she'd have a stressful situation. Like she was a dance instructor and she had to go to New York to, to, for a dance competition. Okay. And just that fluctuation and being in New York and all the stress spun her out. And she didn't think about it too much until she did some more work where she went with her church to go um, help, you know, a needy country. And once again, there was a lot of stress of traveling, being there, and she spun out again. And so I just wondered if there's any clinical research on or, or anything you could back up that, that that kind of stress in someone's life can send them into that same. Uh, absolutely. And please uh, jump in with this, too. So lack of sleep can trigger mania. Lack of sleep is uh, is often related to stress. And so uh, if you're if you're having trouble sleeping, that can be uh, um, open the door to, towards mania. Uh, also, the first break manias are often connected to a stressful situation like the classic is going off to college or getting a new job or something like that but as the illness goes on the the stressors become less related to the tri- to the trigger of mania okay. um, but yes they they interrelate because we're all human beings the other thing is that bipolar gets very very confusing because it, it can be hard to diagnose they're often Comorbid with other illnesses, substance abuse, personality disorders. They're, it's you can have very classic bipolar and have something else. And so, um, people sometimes who maybe don't have bipolar at all, going back to sort of a personality disorder, um, they can kind of regress or come undone when they're under stress. So their their coping mechanisms don't hold up as well as everybody else's. So, oh my gosh, I have this dance recital, I'm under all this stress, and then you start acting like a teenager again, and it becomes a mess. Um, so in that sense, the stress can directly relate to uh, an illness as well. Any other thoughts or questions? Uh, yes, Jason Town, United States Probation. I had a question about, um, I've been seeing a lot of diagnosis of schizoaffective disorder, bipolar type. Um, could you kind of explain that a little bit? Sure. So um, schizophrenia is a psychotic illness. So you're out of touch with reality. Yes. And so and bipolar is a mood disorder. It's going up and down. And the the short answer with what you're saying is you combine them. uh, So you have both a psychotic disorder and a mood disorder. So that mood disorder can be bipolar up and down or the mood disorder can be just depression. So you could be schizoaffective depressive type which means you have a mood component and you also have psychotic symptoms to be officially schizoaffective. And that's another diagnosis that some clinicians hate and some people think are useful. I don't know where you stand on that, but um, you have to have some psychotic symptoms when you don't have a mood symptom. So if, if you're manic and you're psychotic and now you're no longer manic and you're still psychotic, 
yeah, that's schizoaffective bipolar type. But if your psychosis only goes along with a, a mood going way, way up or way, way down, people can become psychotic when they're depressed too, which is often overlooked. So if your psychosis is only related to one of those two poles, that's just bipolar with psychotic features. But if you have the two poles and then you're in the middle feeling good and you're still kind of psychotic, but you're muddling through your life and things are okay, that's schizoaffective. Does that help answer that question? Uh, yes, it does. Thank you. I also tend to see that a lot of these guys are heavy substance abuse users too. Yes, substance abuse, and this is your expertise, substance abuse and bipolar often go, they're very frequently go together. Yeah, 50% of people who have bipolar disorder will, will misuse substances at, at at least one point in life. Um, and so, so half of people with bipolar disorder misuse them. Um, and some studies go as, as high as like 60% for people with, with schizophrenia and some, some go around 40%. So, um, so with both of those, there's a lot of substance misuse. Um, and, and it's tough because if you're hopped up on cocaine or on meth, you can look manic. And I think sometimes people will say, oh, well, they're used meth, so this is just methamphetamine. It's, this is not another psychiatric illness. But it actually can be both um, because they can become manic. And then when you're manic, you think, like, there's nothing – you're not thinking correctly like this person. So you might think there's no – I can use meth. I'm more powerful than meth. I have a special brain that metabolizes meth in a way that protects me from addiction you know, or something like that. You, you have – your reasoning is off. So you might use meth or you might've been manic. And then it's very common after mania for, to become profoundly depressed. And so maybe you became so depressed and, and you realize, you know, Hey, if I use meth, that's going to bring my mood up a little bit. So you start to use some meth to kind of bring it up or, or some Coke. And so, so I think it's important that we not just write people off as, as kind of the drugs causing the symptoms. Uh, they're, they're part of it, but, but they could also have an underlying mood disorder. Uh, Lawrence Savage with APD. Another thing that I've kind of noticed is that the the prescription drugs that they're given for their mental illness, the side effects are so bad to them that they're willing to self-medicate with some other drug um, to try to combat the symptoms of their mental illness. And so that, you know, that, that kind of weighs into that. And I'm sure that you see that more than you would know. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Didn't you hear, you know, so like the early stage of mania, I mean, who doesn't want to feel like they just won the lottery, right? Or be super sexual, not have to sleep, feel so good. And so plenty of people will, will purposely stop taking their medicines in order to feel that. And unfortunately, it gets out of control, right? And after, I mean, all of us have gone at least a day without sleeping. And we, we're not thinking right. So imagine it's been six weeks and you have had barely any sleep at all. That's one of the reasons why people become psychotic when they're when they're in a in a mania, uh, is is because they're not sleeping, and then plus maybe they're using things and it, it uh, it's a difficult diagnosis bipolar, especially when you start looking at that fifty percent of people who use substances. There was a patient who um, it was very difficult to tell whether they were bipolar or or just abusing drugs, and then he went to prison, and like a month later he called the doctor and said. I feel great. This is wonderful. They're so nice to me here at the prison and they're 
the food is so great. And so that helped make the diagnosis um, <laughs> because we're, we're assuming that he wasn't getting substances in the jail, um, hopefully. Yeah. So not a, not a safe assumption. <laughs> no, I meant the, yeah. At the, yeah, not a safe assumption, I realized, but the, it's, right. it's that, it seemed like you were becoming mad. Yes. That's your point. Yeah. Um, and then another interesting thing about the 50% of um, people using substances is that when you look at violence and mental illness, if you look at people who aren't abusing substances, the, <coughs> it really, the, the correlation between the, the risk of violence from being uh, mentally ill goes way, way down basically towards the baseline of the population, that it's not the mental illness causing the violence, it's just like everybody else, you go to a bar, you get drunk, you do stupid things. And same if you have a mental illness. They're just more likely to use drugs and alcohol. Yeah, and, and they can be hard to interact with. I mean, just like that case, right? Like, so that pressured speech, can't get a word in edgewise. Uh, you know, they have these ideas about being super special and... Uh, it can be very difficult. These these are people who generally have poor insight into their illness because they feel so great. What could possibly be wrong uh, when they're acutely manic? Um, they recognize the problem when they're depressed because because nobody likes being depressed. But if they feel you know really good and super special, I mean that guy from that case, he was going to go meet the Pope, right? I mean he's that special. Um, he's a special operative for the United States as a whole. You know, um, protecting those diamonds or whatever, it's it feel very important. And so sometimes we do need to intervene against people's wishes when they're manic. Um, oftentimes in the emergency room, we meet a whole family and they say, you know, we just can't take it anymore. And it took the whole family to get the person to come in. Uh, or sometimes we need to need to do a CV or something like that. It's a real tough one. To get back to the question um, that uh, that Jason asked about schizoaffective disorder, just one thing that's kind of interesting is if you compare people with schizophrenia and people with schizoaffective disorder, the people with schizoaffective disorder actually tend to be a little bit more functional and they have a better prognosis, even though they have two illnesses. There's something about the mood disorder there that, uh, for whatever reason, I don't think we understand, changes uh, their overall thing. So they're, they're maybe more likely to have a job or have relationships, marriages and stuff like that. They still have problems when their diseases aren't controlled. Um, but it, it's not as bad as the people who just have the schizophrenia. And we don't know why. <laughs>